Wishing Day by Lauren Miracle Chapter 3 I Wish I Believed in Wishes On January 4th, when school started back up, Molly asked Natasha about her wishing day too. Natasha and Molly hadn't seen or spoken to each other during winter break because Molly's parents had taken her on an unplugged trip to visit Molly's grandmother. Unplugged meaning no cell phones, no internet, no anything. It was as horrible as it sounds, Molly moaned. So catch me up. I want to hear every last detail. But you think wishing days are dumb, Natasha said, buffeting by, buffeted by the swirl of kids around her. But I don't think you're dumb, Molly said. I won't make fun of you, I swear. Natasha gave her a look. There were certain things she didn't share with Molly. She wasn't sure why. Because it didn't feel safe? Oh, come on, Molly begged. Did you close your eyes? Did you think about princes and glass slippers and castles in the sky? Molly, have you ever known me to think about princes and glass slippers and castles in the sky? Well, princes anyway. You think about princes sometimes. We don't have princes in Willow Hill. You know what I mean. The hall buzzed with seventh grade energy. Guys exchanged fist bumps while girls squealed and hugged as if they'd been apart for months instead of weeks. Chris Wentworth exclaimed about how tan and gorgeous Belinda Berry looked, and Belinda said, Oh, please. Belinda, Belinda had gone skiing in Aspen over the break. That's why she was tan. She was gorgeous because she just was. Natasha let the chaos wash over her. A boy named Matt snapped his snow-flecked hat at Belinda and Chris, and Chris squeaked. Bitten, Natasha's secret crush, danced for no clear reason in the middle of the hall, fisting his hands and drawing his knees up one after the other. His pants hung too low, and his t-shirt was ridiculous, sporting a row of kittens across the front. But he was ridiculous on purpose. He was confident and cute, and he wore actual cologne. He swaggered when he walked. His hair was a curly blonde mess, and his smile made Natasha's stomach flutter when they passed in the hall. Maybe he was Willow Hill's closest thing to a prince. Molly poked Natasha's upper arm. So, are you going to tell me? Tell you what? About your wishing day, crazy pants. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Or I will pee right here on the floor and I am not kidding. Ew, Natasha said. Molly grinned. She wedged herself between Natasha and her locker and touched Natasha's nose with hers. If you don't tell me, I will pick you up and carry you over to Benton and drop you in his arms. Natasha blushed. Before or after you pee in your pants. My bladder will decide that. Tell your bladder it's time for class. My bladder thinks class is boring. Your bladder doesn't get a vote. Molly took hold of Natasha's sleeve 
and lowered her voice. Did your impossible wish have to do with your mom? Natasha shut her locker with a bang. She pointed down the hall and said, Hey, look, Mr. Parker's bringing new fish for his aquarium. Molly glanced to her left where Mr. Parker was making his way carefully to his office with two pet store plastic bags, each filled with water and goldfish. Mr. Parker was the sixth grade counselor. He seemed to think fish made kids calm. Fishies, Molly exclaimed. I love fishies. She waved in Mr. Parker's direction. Hi, little fishies. Didn't your cousin have a kissing fish that ate all the other fish in the aquarium? Natasha asked. Oh my gosh, yes. And it was so traumatic, Molly said. She retold the kissing fish story and how, at first... Her cousin thought the kissing fish kissed the other fishes to death. The floating fish skeleton changed his mind about that, Molly said. So now my cousin has one very fat kissing fish and no others. She walked beside Natasha to their classroom. Huh. I wonder if the kissing fish regrets his actions now that he doesn't have any friends left. Then Molly went off on a tangent about whether or not fish had feelings, and Natasha smiled to herself. She doubted the conversation would double back to Natasha's wishing day, which meant that Natasha was off the hook. Hook zigzagged to mermaid in Natasha's mind, and from there to a mermaid on a hook, which was creepy, but could make an awesome story. When she and Molly got to their desk, she slid her secret journal out of her backpack and jotted down some story notes. Ooh, maybe the mermaid could kiss someone to death. She slapped shut her journal and returned it to her backpack, where it lived during school hours. At home, it lived under her bed, far back in a shadowy corner. Natasha would revisit her mermaid notes later, and if a story came out of it, it would join the dozens of stories that lived in her journal already. The dozens of partial stories, that is. So far, Natasha had failed to even to ever end a story. It filled her with shame because she couldn't call herself a writer if she never finished a story, could she? She could have used her secret wish on that. Her second wish, the wish she herself could make come true, why didn't she wish to write stories with a beginning, a middle, and an end? Well, she was living her own story. She rationalized. She didn't know what the end was, and hopefully she wouldn't. Not for a long time. Right now, she was in the middle part, and it was surprisingly interesting. Not being back at school, that wasn't what she was referring to. Being back at school was fine, but normal, not the thrill of a lifetime. Her visit to the old willow had been anything but normal, however. The whiff of otherworldliness she'd experienced clung to her, despite the smell of sneakers and the sound of boys' burps and the squeak of markers against whiteboard. Natasha would always remember the shivery white branches 
and the magnificent moon. She remembered how the willow had talked to her, because it had. She clung to the memory stubbornly, knowing how she'd sound if she told anyone. But something extraordinary had happened on that crisp, cold night. Natasha had given the willow her wishes, and in return, the willow had given her a glimpse of a world where anything might happen. Admittedly, none of Natasha's wishes had come true. Had come true yet, a small voice whispered. But the possibility of wishes had taken root. Hmm... The tricky part was that this was both good and bad. It was good because it gave her hope that wonderful things awaited her. That maybe she would finish a story someday. It was bad for the same reason. Hope lifted you up, but it could just as easily let you down. The day stretched on. Natasha answered questions in history and science though only when she was called on. She solved every problem on the math assessment test Miss Barnes handed out, handed out, but she waited for Raymond Pezeshki to turn his in before turning hers in. It was embarrassing to always hand in assignments first. On the outside, she acted like her typical self, but ever so often, Natasha flashed to the willow tree. Ever so often, she heard the flapping of wings, the night hawk screeching as it swooped above the clearing. Her brain felt foggy, and time took on a curious quality, sometimes moving fast and sometimes slow. She couldn't shake the feeling that she was moving through a mirror world. Through a mirror of what? In English... Miss Woodward told the class to free write. Everyone else groaned, but Natasha's ribs loosened. She pulled out her secret journal and wrote about her wishing day. She hadn't been ready before, but crossing back into the predictable territory of school gave her the distance she needed. Wishing for Mama to be alive, she wrote. What was I thinking? She frowned. Aunt Vera said Natasha would end up with frown lines if she weren't careful, and Aunt Vera would know. Years of frowning had traced multiple lines at the corners of Aunt Vera's mouth and across her forehead, so that now she tended to look sour even when she wasn't. Why is Aunt Vera mad at me? Ava sometimes asked. She isn't, Natasha would whisper. That's just her face. Aunt Elena had wrinkles too, but hers were mainly laugh lines at the corners of her eyes. Mama didn't have wrinkles, not in Natasha's memory, and not in the framed pictures in the bottom drawer of Papa's dresser. Photos of her mother used to be displayed all over the house, on counters, on shelves, on the mantel above the fireplace. Then several seasons after Mama went missing, the pictures disappeared. Natasha suspected that Aunt Vera had simply furrowed her brows one day, scooped up the picture frames, and tucked them out of sight. Natasha chewed the cap of her pen. She bent her head down and wrote, It's been eight years, but Papa thinks Mama is still alive. He thinks she's lost, 
and that one day she'll just show up on our porch. Poof. So I guess he believes in magic or amnesia or both. Everyone else thinks she's dead. I don't know what to think. There was never a funeral or a coffin or a hole dug deep in the ground, but everyone seems convinced she's dead and that her death was very, very sad and very, very tragic because of how much she and Papa loved each other and because of those poor little girls who are me and Daria and Ava. We're the poor little girls. And when people look at us, that's all they see. Nobody says how Mama died, though. Not in front of me. Do they think she fell off a cliff? There aren't any cliffs in Willow Hill. And even if there were, they'd, there'd still be a body. Unless there were wolves, and the wolves ate her bones clean. Even, and even if they did, there'd still be bones, wouldn't there? What do people think happened to Mama's bones? Everyone thinks Papa's crazy for believing that Mama's alive. But guess what? Everyone who thinks this is just as crazy for thinking Mama just disappeared. People don't do that. People do not disappear. Also, sometimes I think Aunt Elena and Aunt Vera think she's alive too because of how they look at each other or deliberately don't look at each other when anything regarding Mama is mentioned. So what am I missing? Maybe everyone doesn't think she's dead. Maybe that's just the show people put on when they're around us. What then? Do they think Mama ran off with another man? Except, ha, she would never. And that's part of the tragedy, that such an awful thing could happen to a man and woman who were so in love. If you love someone the way Mama loved Papa, you don't leave that person to be with someone else. Maybe they think Mama committed a crime. Maybe they think she did something so bad that she fled the scene to keep from being put in jail. But, okay, then what was the crime? Why didn't anyone report it? Also, duh, Mama didn't do bad things. She cut my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches into star shapes. She left gumdrops on the window seals for fairies. She laughed when Aunt Vera said she was spoiling us and said, life's too short for anything but love or something else along those lines. I was a little kid, but I remember. Mama smiled and laughed and tickled me and taught me to ride a bike and how to tie my shoes the big girl way, not the bunny ears way. Natasha stopped. A hollow space opened up inside her. Then she pressed her lips together and made herself keep going. Well, she was sad sometimes, if I'm telling the truth. I have to add that part too. But no one disappears out of sadness. So that leaves what? A nighthawk swooped down and grabbed her up with its talons. A cruel ice queen turned her into stone. Aunt Vera put a teeniness spell on her and made her tiny and put her in her pocket. I mean, really, Aunt Vera doesn't even believe in spells. I don't know what happened to Mama, and I don't think anyone else does either. What I do know is that Mama couldn't have chosen to disappear, because to disappear on purpose from your husband and your children. Natasha put her pen down. 
Not letting herself think about Mama made her frustrated and unhappy. But letting her think of herself think about Mama did the same thing. It felt like a relief at first, until all the confusion and worry came pouring out, bringing her right back to where she started. She was dumb to wish for Mama to be alive again. So, so dumb. A horrible thought struck her. The whole wishing day ritual? What if its purpose was to teach kids not to wish life would magically get better, since it never would? All right, everybody. It's time to wrap it up, Miss Woodward said. Natasha looked up, disoriented. Around her, kids quit writing. Friends started chatting and gathering their stuff. Natasha shoved her secret journal into her backpack. She pulled out her English journal with its cherry red cover and flipped to the first blank page. What a great day, she wrote. My best friend Molly found me before homeroom and gave me an almond croissant, my favorite. I told her about our new puppy, which we got for Christmas. My little sister named him unicornhero.com which is just like Ava because she's such a goofball. Basically, we call him Hero. He likes my Papa the best, and he nips at the legs of Papa's pants until Papa gives in and scratches him behind the ears. Then Hero flops onto his back and holds all four paws up, and Papa laughs and rubs his belly. Papa has a great laugh. His laugh makes everyone else laugh, too. And that's all for now. That was the sort of stuff a normal girl would write, Natasha thought. She wished they'd gotten a puppy for Christmas. She missed Papa's warm laugh. She added her notebook to the stack on Miss Woodward's desk. At the beginning of the year, Miss Woodward assured the class that their writing notebooks were a private place to explore their feelings, and she promised not to read their entries. Natasha thought it was better to be safe than sorry.